Hi, this is Ricardo, pastor of Journey Church Ventura. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast. Hope you're having a great week. We hope it's life-giving and life-changing. Take care. Amen. Amen. It is so good to see you this morning. I hope you're having a great morning. What a great time of worship, just spending time in God's presence. As we've said all along, our goal this morning is not that you could walk out and say, wow, that, that Brittany, she's amazing. Or Pastor Ricardo brought a great word. And, and of course, those things are cool. But um, most importantly, what we would love to hear is that, man, I met with God today. I met with God. God addressed me. God was present. God was here and made a difference in my life. And if that's the case, then we've reached our goal. We've succeeded. And I hope and pray that that's already happened in your life this morning and will continue to happen as we talk about God's Word. Um, I'm excited about this new series, but before we get into that, I just want to say that this week on Monday tomorrow, you will receive an email. If you have given throughout the year of 2022, you'll receive an email that will connect you to your giving statement. And it will also, if you haven't already, it will require you to sign into our uh, database, which is called, we call it My Journey. Um, It's also called Church Community Builder, but it's a great database, and you will get an email that you can click on, and it will uh, allow you to get your giving statement. If you need your giving statement mailed to you in paper form, then we are happy to do that, and it'll arrive sometime in June. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Snail mail. And so, but we're happy to send that to you and and more than happy to help you uh, get your giving statement. So thank you for your generosity. God bless you guys for all that you do and helping a journey continue to move forward. And um, with that said, I'm super excited about moving forward with this series called Creed. Creed is is a, a word that means or has an idea of a set of beliefs. And uh, I'll discuss that in just a minute, but the most important part of this series is is helping us understand that there is a generation today that is going through a deconstruction mode. It's uh, the the Gen X uh, generation. It's the most unchurched generation of our time. It's It's the generation that is right now pulling things apart, asking questions about why we believe what we believe. And I think it's fair. I don't think it's unfair to, to uh, ask somebody and, and, and expect someone to believe something that they haven't had to, a chance to challenge or a chance to look at or a chance to examine. And so with this series, these next 10 weeks, we're going to spend time on the essential beliefs of Christianity and what those essential beliefs are and why we believe them. And the why is more important than the what. The what is significant because we need to know what we believe. But at the end of the day, if we don't understand why we believe what we believe, then we're in trouble. In fact, you probably do a lot of things in your life that you've never considered the why. You just do the what. You brush your teeth. Why? Because the toothpaste tastes good? You know, most of us may, may have the why on that, but, you know, why do we uh, <clears throat> do the things that we do? Why do we go to sleep when we go to sleep? Why do we wake up when we wake up? Why do we discipline ourselves in different areas of our lives? Or why do we respond to things when things happen to us? And there's a why to every what that we do. And we don't often have the understanding of the why. We just have been taught to do the what. Religion is one of those things. If you are a religious person, you're likely doing the what, but you're not familiar with the why. And I think that's what religion is. It's, it's, it's this practice of the, why, or the what without the why. 
It's impersonal. It's, it's legalistic. It's the rules. It's the regulations. But we don't ask the question, why are those rules there? Why is 55 more significant than 65 on the road? Studies have shown that if you go 55, you're less likely to be killed than when you're going 65. I don't know if anybody embraces that. There was no amens. <laughs> There's a why to everything. So creeds are simply this, a set of beliefs or aims which guide our actions. A formal statement of Christian beliefs, especially the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. These are called creeds. A framework of faith, which is like the way I like to look at, at creeds, is a framework of faith, not a repetitive and impersonal statement without life or reason. In other words, we're going to learn the why of the what so that it's life-giving, not just rule uh, following. Does that make sense? Most creeds were written in response to heresy. When false teachings were being made, when monotheism, one God, versus polytheism, many gods. And so there was a statement, creed state, creedal statements made so that we believe in the one God. There's Deuteronomy 6 is an example of that, which we won't have time to go into. There's the sinless Jesus versus the faulty Jesus. That was a heresy preached for a long time, that Jesus was not uh, perfect in everything, that he was not sinless. And if that's true, then there was no value in his sacrifice. And Jesus was sinless. It's important that we understand that. Saved by grace, not saved by works. That's another statement of faith that is essential to Christianity, but it was preached that if you do these things, then you can be saved. And that's not true. Because we can't earn our salvation. It's a free gift of grace. Amen? Amen. Ford versus Chevy. <laughs> Everyone knows that Fords are better. <laughs> Seahawks versus all the other NFL teams. Heresy will be preached today in the NFL playoffs as the Seahawks will not be there. I know, you can go ahead and clap. Heresies are the reason most creeds, and it, it's a protection against us following a false doctrine or a false direction of faith. I think they're important that we have these creeds. 1 Timothy 4, 13 through 16 says, Until I come, devote, this is Paul, the apostle, talking to his, his uh, protege, Timothy. And he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Don't neglect your gift, which was given th you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see, pro see your progress. Verse 16 is the key here. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and doctrine, your belief system, closely. And if you do, you'll help others and yourself. It'll keep you on track. That's the value of creeds. There were many creeds written over the years. The Apostles' Creed, which was in about A.D. 200. Nicene Creed, which was another conference that got together and said we need to address some false teachings. This was false teachings about Jesus. That was in about A.D. 325. Constantinople Creed in 381 questioned the full humanity of Jesus. Chalcedonian Creed in 451 
clarified Jesus' two natures, both his divine nature and his humanity. That's it's a very important part of uh, what we believe about Jesus and the Athanasian Creed. In about 500, affirmed the Trinitarian doctrine, the, tri- the, the idea that there is a God the Father, God the uh, Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And all of those creeds de- were developed to address heresies. And it's really important that we have a solid belief system. And so, why do we believe these things? I like what one author says. He says, a creed is not simply a checklist of things I'm supposed to believe, but a synopsis of the entire sweep of redemptive history that narrates a sequence including God, creation, redemption, and consummation. In other words, it's important that we have something that develops our faith, not just our activities. And so what we believe about God, I saw this happen yesterday in a funeral that I I was a part of uh, for Pete Gonzaga. If you know Pete and Lily, um, very important part of our church, Pete passed away not too long ago, and yesterday was his celebration of life, and it was a true celebration of life. There were some tears, but mostly there were smiles of celebration knowing that Pete is in heaven with Jesus. And that hope gives us a hope that if we pass away or if a relative pass away who knows Jesus, there's, there's really more reason to celebrate than to mourn. That's a doctrine that helps us stay on track and keep us close. It's a, it's a way of believing. It's a way of faith. So the bottom line of, for creeds is they clarify our beliefs and prevent heresy. They shape our faith-filled behaviors. So the way we do things and the why, why we do things. We don't just brush our teeth. We read our Bible. We pray because those are things that have significant whys connected to our belief system and our behaviors. They develop a unified group of believers. If we believe the same, then we will act the same and we will function as a body rather than having the arm believe one thing and this arm believing another and pulling two different directions. They remind us of our identity We are children of God, saved by grace, by the sinless sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who took upon himself our sin. We can use them to ground us when we get off track. Creeds clarify and affirm what is important to us, and we must understand that. Here's a saying that I hope you will remember for your lifetime, that if you don't have an I believe, then you will have what they believe. If you don't have an I believe, then you will have what they believe. And they could be anybody. Whoever you hang around with, whoever that influences your belief and behaviors rather than your own I believe. And so here's the I believe for the Bible, which we will focus on today. Confession of faith. I believe the Bible is the infallible word of God. Infallible simply means that it has no error in it. I believe in the... I believe the Bible is the infallible word of God that reveals God and his relationship with humankind and has the right to command my belief in God and to direct the actions of my life. At the end of this series, we'll hand you a set, a creedal statement that will have all these statements um, collected, a creedal statement that will have all these statements um, collected together. Confession of faith, I believe, and it's important that this is about what you believe, not just what Pastor Ricardo believes, 
not just what the Nicene Creed says or the Apostles' Creed. It's important that you own this. Because if you don't own your belief systems, then you're going to end up with an, a they believe than a I believe. And so you have to own it. And it's, it's important. I believe the Bible is the infallible word of God that reveals God and his relationship with humankind and has the right to command my belief in God and to direct the actions of my life. I hope that you will embrace that statement because that statement says that the Bible is your focal point. It's everything to you. And it is true and powerful. The Bible, and and here's a statement about the Bible that I want you to remember too. The Bible is God's revelation of himself to all humankind. You want to know God, get to know the Bible. Now I'm going to say something that might twist you up a little bit. Might kind of cause you to go, what? The Bible is not necessary to believe in God. Until Moses wrote the Torah, there was no Bible. And until about 400 A.D., you want to hear a a crazy thing that's going on right now that you may already know, is that A.D. has been taken out of the, um, the, the, the use of, No longer is it after Christ. Now it's C.E., current era. So it's B.C.E., which is before the current era, and and C.E., current era. And so no longer is it A.D. or B.C., it's now um, they've removed God from the dating system. Funny thing is you can't remove when the dating system was based on. And you can't take Jesus out of history. And uh, that's when it all started. The Bible is what was an inspired book, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But God revealed himself in relationship, and he still does today. Your experience with God is essential to, your, to, to what the Bible brings into our lives. And we, we use the Bible to discover and understand and relate to God, but God can relate to us outside of that, not outside of the value or meaning of Scripture. I want to make that clear. Any experience you have with God will be affirmed by His Word. Let's get that straight. I get frustrated when people want extra biblical experiences and they talk about extra biblical experiences as if they were scriptural ones and say, you have to have this experience. If you don't have this laughing experience, then you're not experiencing God. That's crazy talk. That's heresy. There's nothing in scripture that says you have to laugh to have a relationship with God. Now, there are moments, and I've, I understand if you've been in uh, spiritual experiences where you've seen people laugh, what we would call laugh in the spirit, um, it's just not in the Bible. There isn't laughing in the spirit in the Bible. And so we can't have those extra biblical experiences defined as a doctrine of any kind or defined as a, an essential experience. It's one of the reasons I've learned in worship experiences that we can't expect everyone to express themselves the same way. Worship is an individual expression of our love and appreciation of who God is. And 
as you experience God, you're going to have your own experience and others are going to have their experience. I've learned to not judge the success of an experience with God or a worship service by how many hands are raised. Because some people would rather keep them down here and go, I love you, God. (laughs) Or keep it way down here. There's a comfort zone. There's nobody. I mean, I'm a little bit of a, I'm not a dancer, because I, I, I can't. I don't know how. And I realize, well, Pastor, if you just let yourself go, um, I don't know what happens there, but um, <clears throat> letting myself go would hurt you, okay? <laughs> and probably me. I'd probably stretch a muscle or something. But, um, <clears throat> so the Bible is there to keep us and, and help us understand the experiences that we do have with God, because I don't think that any, if, if I had... Every experience that people experienced in the Bible, I'd be satisfied. Would you be okay with that? I mean, let's just, let's just go, okay, if it's in the Bible, I want it. And there are things that we're not going to get in the Bible. There's things that happened in the Bible that we're just never going to experience again because it may have been a one-time thing. And so, you know, parting of the Red Sea. I don't know if you're gonna, he's going to part between here and Channel Islands. I, you know, it'd be kind of strange. It'd be weird. I don't know why he would do that. But if he chose to do it, it'd be very cool. So the Bible is there to affirm our experiences, but it can also define our experiences as well. Because if we want to experience God in his fullness, uh, like I said, I'm good with just any Bible experience that's out there. So how did the Bible come to be? How did, how did it come to be? And what I'm about to explain, I'm going to go through rather quickly because I don't believe this is the bottom line. I don't believe the Bible. One thing about the Bible, it doesn't, it doesn't go after the, the, the effort to prove itself. The Bible is the Bible. And God doesn't say, I'm going to show you proof. Um, he actually does through the experiences that we read about, but um, there's some really cool stuff about the Bible. First of all, the criteria for the canon or the Bible as we know it, the 66 books, was this, that it was written by a prophet or a spirit-guided person. So there was a crew of people that got together, and these people got together to determine what was canon or should be in the Bible and what isn't canon. So they decided to use this criteria. And it was written by, if it was written by a prophet or a other spirit-guided person, and they all had to agree on this, which was a miracle all in itself, then it was considered a candidate for canon or the Bible. It was written to all generations, not written to just one generation. In other words, it had to be a timeless piece. It couldn't just be a piece that only applied to the people that it was written to. And thirdly, it was written in accord with previous revelation. In other words, um, books of the Bible couldn't um, uh, be separate from the rest of the story. It had to be part of the whole story. Some people call the Bible the Jesus story, because if you read Scripture as if it was all about Jesus, you would see that from the time Adam and Eve and the sacrifice that was made to forgive their sin plays itself out through all of Scripture. It's a powerful reality that we don't have time to go into, but if you read the Bible with the understanding that it was all a setup for Jesus coming and dying on the cross... And then the, the overcoming of, of Christ over the enemy and a new heaven and a new earth, it's a really powerful reality. It's a new way of reading scripture that I think you would enjoy. 
very, very much. So here's a few facts about the Bible. There's 66 books, there's 39 Old Testament books, and 27 New Testament books. It was written over a period of approximately 1,500 years. There's a lot of debate about how many years that really took, but there's, uh, <clears throat> most, most believe that it was about 1,500 years. There's 40 different authors, three written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. There are three different continents that it was written on. There are uh, old texts that we use that have been used to interpret scripture or to translate scripture I should say the Dead Sea Scrolls which were found which were written almost 2,000 years ago and then there were two texts that were used there were actually three but two that were trustworthy texts called the Masoretic text and the Septuagint text and the Masoretic text were written by these guys named Masoretes who uh, would number every letter in the Bible so that if there was a number missing in a translation that was written, they would know it's a false translation. So every letter had a number, and if there was a number missing in their evaluation of, of new texts that were written, they would throw that out. And only keep that. I think it was an anointed group of people that helped protect the, the integrity of Scripture. There was also the Septuagint, which was a, a Greek text. Uh, written of the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament, that Greek text was considered a very trustworthy one because um, the Jews uh, were held in captivity. They learned more Greek than they learned Hebrew. And because they needed Greek, that was translated into Greek. And it was a very uh, 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 cool process how that happened. But at the end of the day, um, those two texts, the Masoretic text and the Septuagint text, were... um, trusted text throughout history and even sometimes used today to help interpret scripture there's a little bit of trivia it's the most stolen book in history out of hotels um, all kinds of different places where people steal the bible and keep it for themselves if you if your bible ever gets stolen just let us know we'll be happy to replace it for you the person who took it probably needs it it's the best-selling book of all history There are 1,260 promises in Scripture, and there are 6,468 commands in Scripture or directives in Scripture. Now, what's interesting about all these facts is they don't make the Bible believable. They don't make the Bible believable. I could tell you that there are those many promises. There are those many commands. There's all this stuff that happened over history, how how the Bible has been treated, and all these kinds of things. But what does make the Bible believable is what I talked about earlier, a relationship with God. A relationship with God. And that's the point of the Bible, is not to prove God, but to open up the idea of a relationship with Him. And this whole book, the Bible, reveals who He is so that you and I can have a relationship with Him. And if, even if you had a relationship without Him, you could affirm that relationship through the Bible. Because that's the way He relates to us. Now here's why I believe we believe in the Bible. Not because of all these things that I just shared with you. And and there's so much more about the history of the Bible that we don't have time to talk about. But here's the why. Here's the important part of understanding why we believe in the Bible. First of all, I believe it's the most honest book about God and his relationship with people. If you wrote a book and you wanted to convince people 
or you wanted to reveal yourself to people, would you write about the sinful people that you created? Would you write about what seems to be like mistaken or faulty creation? I think it's amazing that God would give us a book that describes how messed up things ended up being. Even though he was relating with us the whole way. Now what it does show is that God not only related to the fallen people that he created, but he redeems them. It's the power of what scripture is all about. It's the redemptive story. He shares with us the fall of man, the effects of the sinful nature, the kicking out of Adam and Eve from the garden and into a broken and and decrepit world with the sinful nature included. But it also shows the pursuit of relationship that God has with people. And he continues to pursue and pursue and pursue and pursue. And he continues to provide the sacrificial system that ends up being the redemptive system. So he takes the messed up people that were created and the messed up people that chose to not follow God's plan and he redeems them through the sacrificial system. And he shares this story with us even though we can look at it and go, man, God, you really messed up. Look at the mess you created. And he would say, no, look at the mess you made of it. (laughs) But I love you. And he showed that through the redemptive story. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, the patriarchs of faith, David, Israel, the exile and captivity of Israel. And then Jesus shows up on scene and he provides a sinless sacrifice his only son, to die for us. And the final ending of this world will be a new heaven and a new earth with the enemy defeated, no more sin, no more crying, no more dying, no more anything. We will spend eternity with God. That's the end of the story. That's what the Bible provides. But what I love and why I believe in the Bible is because it's an honest book about honest relationship with God. And that God shows himself to be loving and caring and just and a judge of righteousness and sinfulness. It shows all of that. And I love that. Because if it were me writing that book, I would only share the good parts of things with you. And he doesn't do that. Secondly, the Bible is the inspired word of God. Let me, give, let me help you understand that. The Bible is the inspired word of God. 2 Timothy 3.14 says this. All scripture is God-breathed. I'm sorry, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And then there's that so that. Remember, I always talk about this when we see a so that. Because there's a reason. There's a why. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the Bible exists, the the God-breathed Bible exists so that you and I can be equipped to do what he wants us to do. That's the purpose of the Bible. But here's the powerful and the reason we believe in it is because it is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. These writers, the 40 writers of the Bible, did not sit down and go, okay, I'm going to do a journal about God. That's not the way this worked. God directed them to write or speak to a writer, and they did it with the anointing and inspired breath of God. 
And so when we read this book, and for some of you, how many have paper Bibles with you? Raise them up. Be proud. How many have digital Bibles with you? If you have a phone, you have a digital Bible with you. Okay? This book is inspired. It is the breath of God. It is the words of God. There's nothing to look at this book and go, oh, it's just an average book. Oh, it's just another book. Oh, it's just one of the books. No, this book was breathed by God. I have a problem with pastors and, and teachers of the Bible who say, well, you know, Moses was feeling sad that day, so this looks a little sad. Well, whatever it looks like, God made it happen. Because those were words of God. Those are not our words. They're, they're God's words. They were not Moses' words. They were breathed, they're breathed from God through Moses onto the paper and onto the, the, the ink and the letters that we read today. This is the inspired word of God. And it's the reason that we need to embrace this Bible. It's the why. Because it is breathed. And it is useful for teaching. It is useful for rebuking. It is useful for correcting and training in righteousness so that you and I can be built up and equipped for every good work. It didn't say so that you and I could just sit back and get ready for heaven. It says so that we can get ready for God's will. And so we should never give credit to Moses or Paul or Matthew or Luke or John or Peter who were inspired writers of the book We should only give them credit for being obedient for writing the breath of God through their lives. That's the reason we believe in this book, because it is inspired. It is the very words of God. I often say this, if you want to hear God's audible voice, just read the Bible out loud. And that's all you really need. We don't need writing on the wall. We don't need sky writing in the sky. I mean, those would be wonderful experiences if God chose chose to do that for us. But those aren't the things that we absolutely need. We just need to embrace the idea that God breathed these words in the Bible. And for that reason, we believe. I believe in the Word of God. I believe it to be the infallible Word of God. It's for that reason. It's because they're inspired that it's infallible. Now, people will tell you that there's contradictions in Scripture and all those kinds of things. I teach Old Testament history and literature. I teach New Testament history and literature. And I understand that there are challenges in Scripture, especially in the English translated versions, that seem to contradict each other. And I could talk to you forever about that. But the reality is, is that the Bible is the inspired, God-breathed Word of God. And it's for that reason that we believe in it. Second Peter 1 20 says this, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There we go. There's not a word in Scripture that wasn't written with human will. It was written by God's will. And when we embrace the Scriptures that way, our lives can be changed. Lastly, I believe that we should believe in the Bible because it is a transformative book. It changes lives. It changes lives. Listen to Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the Word of God is alive, living, and active, effective, 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of of him to whom we must give account. The Bible is alive and active. Those two words are, are simple. They're living. It has a life to it. it doesn't, it's not like a, a, a nonfiction book or a fiction book. It, it, it's a, a real book. It's a living book. And sometimes people say, well, that's why we often get different meanings out of things. I have a little bit of a challenge with that, being an academic and being a, a, a teacher of the Bible. I believe that there are original meanings of Scripture that we need to understand and let those take effect in our lives. And so I'm not sure that reading the Bible all the time and getting new meanings all the time is the proper way to let Scripture feed into our lives. There's an original meaning, and we take that original meaning and we apply it to our lives. That's the most healthy way to interpret and and allow Scripture to teach us and shape us. And I know that might challenge some of you in your thinking. Every time I read it, there's something new. There's a revelation that happens, and it's the revelation of the original meaning. And the application of that meaning then changes our lives. That's the way it should work. That's the way it should work. And then it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it cuts, right? And this is why we resist reading the scriptures sometimes. Because it's a, it's a mirror that shows ugly. Bible, Bible on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Not you. <laughs> You know, I mean, it shows us, it reveals us, it opens up our hearts, it opens up and it it takes, you know, it, it shines light everywhere. And some people just don't like that. But it's the best thing because when you know what's going on inside, you can allow God to fix what's inside. And the scripture guides and directs those steps and helps us become more like Jesus. And it judges And that's why when it judges, it looks inside and it says, nope, that's not good. Yep, that's wonderful. Nope, that's not good. Yep, that's wonderful. And we get this balance of conviction and joy out of it. But when we read it and we let it transform our lives, we become more like Jesus. That's the power of Scripture. Why? Why should we believe in the Bible? Not because it was written over 1,500 years by 40 authors or 66 books and three different continents and three different languages and all this other stuff. All that's great. The reason we should believe in Scripture is because it is the most honest picture of God's relationship with you and me. It's God-breathed. The words of the Bible must be believed that they are the words of God, not the words of man. And it is alive and effective and cuts to the very heart and soul of you and I. And if we will embrace that and believe it, we can make the confession, I believe the Bible is the infallible word of God that reveals God and his relationship with humankind and has the right to command my belief in God and to direct the actions of my life. And when we embrace that statement and we embrace the realities of this book and realize that it is God's revelation of himself to you and me, We can have a genuine relationship with God through the Bible because of what the Bible shows us and reveals to us about Him. Everything we need to know, everything He wants us to know is there. There's more there than we'll ever comprehend for sure. But the power of the Bible is what we need to embrace. If you're here today and you're deconstructing things, 
God bless you. I I will never tell someone not to deconstruct, never to question or never to challenge. First of all, I believe that the Bible will stand on its own. I don't need to defend it. I'll do my best to defend it, but I don't need to because it's God's word and he is big enough to defend himself. If you're honest enough to let the Bible speak into your life, then you'll be honest enough to realize that he's real and that his book is alive and it's effective. And it will change your heart and soul. Church, we need to embrace the Bible. Tomorrow we'll send out an email, maybe with your uh, giving statement. We'll send out an email inviting you to a Bible reading for the next 65 days about the essential beliefs of Scripture. And in, the, in that Bible reading, it's about the Bible, it's about the, the, who God is, who, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, uh, all the things, all the essential beliefs. And we'll send it out to you. It's, it's through the Bible app, so we encourage you to, you can get it on your, your phone, you can read it privately, or you can read it publicly, however you want, with other friends, you can do all kinds of things. But one of the things that we're going to do is do everything we can to solidify the base of our faith. So that we know that God is real and that he will help us through our times of, of, of challenge, of life. But his word is true. His word is true. It's inspired. It's living. It's effective. And we need to embrace it and ingest it and take it in. If you really want to challenge, read Psalm 119. The entire chapter, one of the longest chapters in scripture, is all about getting the word of God in our hearts really, really good song. And I encourage you to embrace the I believe the Bible. Do you believe today? Let's pray. God, it's interesting that over history, efforts have been made to eliminate Scripture from this world, to eliminate it from the belief systems of different nationalities and ethnicities and lord it's never um, succeeded in fact every time it's been persecuted every time your word has been shut down um, it has expanded and grown and its influence has been searched and found to be true and lord i pray that your holy spirit this morning would speak into our lives and help us understand that even though we may be asking questions about scripture even though we may be asking questions about its truthfulness and its uh, accuracy, Lord, we can deconstruct, but you will reconstruct yourself in us. And I believe that. And I believe that you will do that through your word. The very thing that's being questioned will show its veracity, its truth. And I pray right now in Jesus' name for anybody in this room that's struggling to believe in, in the Bible, that you will open the reality That, Lord, this book is not just about facts and figures, but it's about a relationship with you. You desire to reveal yourself to us so that we can fall in love with you and that we can have a relationship with you for eternity. And, Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes and the hearts and the minds and the spirits of each person in this room and those that are listening online, that you, in your powerful way, would open up the door for us to experience your word on a whole new level. For it is alive and it is effective. It examines our heart and it cuts to the the bone and the marrow. 
And it shows us where we are with you, Lord. And we want to be right with you. We want to be open with you. We want to be honest with you like you are honest with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would touch the hearts of every person in this room. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for giving us your word. Thank you, God, for opening up the door of truth in our lives. And I pray that your Bible would impact our hearts today in Jesus' name. If you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the beginning of having our hearts open. Maybe today you've realized that this is not just some uh, fictional book that has been written so that uh, us, us people who are religious or, or what you might consider crazy even have this book that kind of guides and directs our lives. No, this is a, a, this is a true book. Feel free to use your intellect. We're not asking you to abandon your, your, your intellect or anything. But open your mind to the reality that Jesus loves you and cares about you. Died on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven. My sins could be forgiven. And today you can accept him as your Lord and Savior. If that's you, would you just pray this simple prayer? Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. And Jesus, I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. And based on what you did on the cross, based on the the love that you have for me, I accept your forgiveness today and realize that you are going to forgive every mistake I've made. Every action I've done to separate me from you is now completely gone. And I thank you for that. And Jesus, I believe that you were raised from the dead and that today you promised me eternal life and I will spend eternity with you. I believe that. And Jesus, I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to join your journey. And I hope the message made a big difference in your life. And if it did, we just encourage you to go to journeychurchventura.com and let us know. Also, be free to share this message with your friends and family. We just love to impact as many people as we can. Once again, thank you for joining us at Journey Church Ventura.